Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. All right. Well, let's jump back into his word here. He said we'll pick up in uh, Genesis. I think we got as far as Genesis 47, verse 7. If you would agree with me in prayer once more. Father, Lord, as we look to your word here now, we thank you for it. We, we magnify your name. We, we just we thank you, Lord, for how good you are, for how kind you are, for how you've blessed this fellowship. Lord, we pray that it would continue to be the case. Protect, Lord, this fellowship. Um, help us to maintain unity here by your spirit, Lord. And, and now as we look to your word, may we be encouraged and, and built up by it. Your spirit have its way within us here tonight, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in verse 7, we're picking back up, and of course, we're, we're in the account of, of Joseph still at this point, all the way through the end of the chapter, we're almost there, and um, we're at the point now where Joseph's family, his entire family, has made their way now to Egypt upon his invitation. Joseph, of course, has been revealed to them. Um, there's been um, some some warm greetings. There's I, I don't want to say there's been full reconciliation yet. I believe that comes there at the end of Genesis 50. Uh, but there's been a wonderful reunion, certainly for Jacob, as he's now been able to see his son, whom he thought dead and gone, who's actually alive and not just alive, but but ruling in uh, Egypt, essentially serving as the the prime minister, and um, <clears throat> so in a significant place of power that, of course, is is due to the Lord and and what the Lord has done in order to preserve His people. And so we're about two years into the famine now, and and so uh, Israel has come, uh, and and now they are uh, on the the eve of of sort of being placed in the land and being given land, and um, and here in verse seven it says, then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Now, <clears throat> what's happened here, and I'll go back to last week a little bit, in the, in the events preceding this very moment, there was a little bit of information that was shared with Joseph's family that was of the nature of, hey, look, because of who you are and because of your occupation, you're not really looked at favorably here. Now, Joseph was confident that they were going to be welcomed, that they would have a good experience there in Egypt, especially because of his position there. But because they were shepherds, they were really looked down upon. They were considered essentially the lowest class of people. And it's one of these things that seemingly is, is kind of shared with them upon their arrival that, that from our vantage point would, would be of concern, no doubt, that we would go, well, wait a second, we just moved everything here. We just, we, we've set our, our hopes on this. We've, we've packed up, we've moved everything here, and, and now you're telling us that this could be a difficult circumstance for us. But of course, Joseph looks to them, he says, look, I'm going to take you before Pharaoh, I'm going to intercede for you, as it were, and, and, and you, when you go before him, just say this, and, and everything's going to be okay. And, and so when we, when we consider that, and, and that's where I began to share with you elements of my own testimony as I first came to the Lord there in my uh, freshman year of college, that, that oftentimes, and it was no different for me and likely for many of you as well, as you think back on some of your own experiences, that things in our life that can seem... Uh, uh, unfortunate, things that can be a great disappointment, things that may maybe seem to fly in the face of every plan that we've made, everything that we've set out to accomplish, that from our perspective can seem like it's all fallen apart. Lord, this is all bad. I don't know what I'm going to do. Can oftentimes be those very moments where God is going, look, I am taking all of these circumstances and I'm working them together for good and I'm about to do something in your life that you've never expected, but it's going to be an absolute blessing. And this is certainly the case uh, for 
much of Joseph's life or much of the circumstances that Joseph himself went through. And, and even for Jacob, as he began to despair, thinking everything was against him, but it was a matter of uh, mere moments in the grand scheme of things before he was going to learn that his son was alive. And, and so not only can God take those circumstances sometimes and just absolutely blow us away with how good he is, but the other thing is, is sometimes he's even sparing us from terrible things in those moments, right? And, th- and that was, both of those things were true for me. A uh, little bit of a recap, you know, here I, I was on campus that I had set out for, uh, for football and fraternity and, 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 a, and a good education, and now uh, certainly football was gone, and now the fraternity was gone, and, 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 and I was led to believe based off of the, uh, the, the, attacks coming against me from those who were in the fraternity that I wasn't even going to get an education because they were going to make my life miserable. They were going to run me off campus. That, you know, so here's these circumstances being set up in my own life and I find myself in despair and thinking, Lord, what is going on? And of course, these were the circumstances that then precipitated my surrender to Christ, giving my life to Christ. And then in, those, in, in, in the following days, God beginning to go, look, I'm going to rebuild all this, but I'm going to align you with my will and my plan. And so I went from a place of feeling like I had absolutely nothing and I was worth absolutely nothing. And here I am, unfortunately, just one night, but sleeping in my car thinking, what am I going to do and where am I going to go? to the next day going, man, God's given me a place to live and He's surrounded me with good people and, and Christian brothers and, and, <clears throat> and things are looking up. I mean, He's setting me now on a path. The thing I didn't mention, but I think I did on a Sunday morning a, a few weeks ago in a different part of the message, but the Lord's doing a similar work in Ashley's life during that same time. She's surrendering her life to Christ, and so it's just evident that God is working in our lives. And then now as we come to this place where here Joseph's brothers go from a place of going, well, wait a second, we feel like we just got duped. We're in a, we're in a situation now that isn't going to be good for us. But really, really what God's doing is sparing them from the world. He's setting them apart in the same way that God did that in my life. And then <clears throat> Joseph brings his dad in before Pharaoh and so now, now here you get, you get Israel, Jacob, and part of the, the lineage to the Messiah, uh, a, a grandson, great-grandson to the father of the faith who gets to go before Pharaoh and bless Pharaoh. I mean, the most powerful man in the land. It's a, it's a pretty incredible thing here that this patriarch now gets to come in and encourage a pagan leader who's really thought to be a god by his own people. And so you've got, you got this old man, who it seems almost like Pharaoh is, is really thinking that, and, and Pharaoh's probably fairly well done up. You know, he's, he's got probably makeup on and the whole getup and looking pretty healthy and probably got a nice tan, and here comes 130-year-old Israel walking on in, and he's like, how old are you, Right? And so now Israel comes before him and he, he gets the chance to bless this ruler of a land of plenty. And I started to share with you last week in, in my own life, you know, here are these people who have said, look, if you leave here, you're done, man. You're over. We're going to make your life. And they literally told me they're going to make your life a living hell. And you're a, you, you, you are going to be done here in no time and, and on and on and on, right? Well, listen, what, what God begins to do in my life is he gives me, he, he gives me a place to live and he gives me f- immediate friends and, and, and then I get plugged into some of the Christian groups on campus, Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Campus Crusade for Christ, which at that time were, it was, it was sort of happening, but, but not much. And, and over, the, over the following two years, I mean, we grew by leaps and bounds. And now all of a sudden, there's a ton of guys on campus that are involved in these things. And then as a result of that, well, we're, we're growing and we're now a campus club that, that needs more resources. And so what begins to happen? Well, we get the opportunity to go before the student body administration and tell them about what's happening on campus and what God's doing and the resources that we need in order to fund these programs. And, and then after a while, uh, we recognize like, man, there should be some better housing. If we've got all these fraternities on campus that are giving themselves to all of these ridiculous 
all this ridiculousness of the world, well, why, why can't there be a house for, for Christians? Why can't there be a house for a group of guys who are like, man, we want, a, we want a nice place to live. And so all of a sudden we're going before the president of the college and the dean of student housing and we're, ta- we're sharing the gospel and we're talking about what God's doing on campus. And, and then before too long, I got guys from the fraternity, the very guys who looked at me and said, you're a loser. I can't believe you're doing this. We're going to make your life terrible, so on and so forth. They're coming to me almost like Nicodemus in the cover of night and saying, hey man, I'm really struggling. Well, no kidding. You, you, you look what you've given yourself to. And, and so I'm getting the opportunity to share Jesus with guys. And, and so, listen, guys, and we'll, we'll move on from here, but I wanted to bring that particular point to an end here that consistently throughout Joseph's life, what he sees, or what we see, rather, as just, man, this is the terrible circumstance. God says, no. Just, just wait, just be patient, trust me in what I'm doing. And so no different than what I just shared with you a moment ago. We're sitting here going, well, Lord, we thought we had a building, but maybe we don't have a building, and now we got an offer, but it's really the bad time for the offer, and what are we going to do? And I do really want to make a decision that's in line with his will, but I can tell you this much, that, that as an elder team, though there was a lot of discussion and seeking to exercise wisdom, we all are in agreement that, God, you know, and you're going to do something awesome. We know that. We don't need to despair. No differently than none of you need to despair, even in your personal circumstances in your life. If we are surrendered to the Lord, if we love the Lord, well, Romans 8, 28 through 30 is a promise. To those who love Jesus, he's working all things together. We literally, I firmly believe this, can sit back sometimes and just go, man, Lord, I'm just going to chill. Because you have got this. You are in control. There is nothing I need do. Scripture tells us to cease striving. Rest. Trust me. Maybe before too long, you'll be standing before a pagan king telling him all about me. And here's the other thing as we move forward from this verse. As Pharaoh is, is he's, as he's sitting there, we read that, that Jacob blesses Pharaoh. He blesses him. This is a pagan king, an unbeliever. And, and, and this is a principle I think we need to see here that once again, this ties into this past Sunday, oftentimes we demonize and condemn the lost instead of truly seeing the effect that Satan has had on them. Instead of seeing the evil that has led them astray instead of seeing them as an individual made in the image of God, deserving of, 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 of blessing. And, and I think here what we see with, with Jacob, and this was his, his father had done something similar, his, his grandfather had done something similar, uh, that it's okay for us to encourage and to love on and bless and build up and even celebrate things that are going on in an unbeliever's life. So, J- so Jacob, he, he blesses him. And, uh, and then he recognizes is in, in this conversation that life's been a challenge. I think to some degree here Jacob is saying, look, uh, the days of the years of my life, they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers. He says, few and evil have been my days. I think there, to some degree here Jacob is saying, look, there's, there's been some challenges in life. And maybe to some degree he's saying that they haven't yet measured up to my, my forefathers. But I think in some respects also Jacob here is saying, especially at this point in his life, now that he's seen what God is doing, that maybe to some degree he's also saying, and life isn't done yet. And my God's not done yet. It hasn't yet measured up to that of my, of my fathers, but, but man, God's really showing off these days. Showing himself faithful in my life. And I think for us, like what of us in our days and where you're at right now and, and, and you too, if you were in a spot that, like Jacob was in, you might be inclined to go, as you're reflecting on your life, and somebody says, man, how old are you? <laughs> Tell me about life. And you might say, you know, life's had its moments. It's been a tough year. Right? Anybody feel that way? It's been a tough year. I think some of us, some of us are really aware of it and, and others, maybe it's like, Maybe there's something there that you're just like, man, something just feels kind of heavy and we don't even really realize how much all that's gone on has had an effect on us. Like we can relate. We can say, man, there's been some ups and downs. But to also say, but 
I'm still here. God's not done. He's, he's, he's woken me up today. He's given me breath in my lungs. He's, he's clearly not done yet. I, I, I think that, you know, f- I don't think, I know, for, for believers, we with greater confidence than anybody else can say, man, the, the best days are ahead. The best days are ahead. And so Joseph then, verse 11, situated his father and his brothers, and he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land. And so here they are thinking, wait, we're going to be... We're going to be looked down on. This is going to be difficult. And Joseph says, no, I got you. I got you covered. I'm going to take care of it. And so he puts him in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And this is Pharaoh that says, yeah, go. In part because he says, he's got to look at Joseph and say, I love this guy. Whatever Joseph wants. Because Pharaoh knows he's taking care of business. He's done such a good job. And so, uh, Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. And so Joseph, being a type of Christ, endures great suffering, forgives, shows mercy, and then, and then he shows incredible grace in his abundant provision for us. I mean, think of this pattern here. Joseph sold off into slavery, uh, thrown into prison, forgotten about. I mean, he's had some things that have happened to him. And now he's navigating this time of famine and here his brothers come and he had every right to go, oh no, you guys just go away, right? Or even worse, I'm going to throw these guys in prison. Even worse, I'm going to take their life. I don't know that anybody really would have questioned him. But no, he forgives. He sees God's hand on it. And he doesn't just say, ah, he doesn't just say, hey, it's okay, I forgive you guys. God meant it for good. No, he says, I'm going to give you the best. Guys, do you know that that's God towards us? That this isn't just a story in Genesis about Joseph. No, no, this is an account, and a real account here that gives us a picture of God's love towards us. That we don't deserve it, but He shows us mercy, He forgives, and He doesn't just stop there. He says, I'm going to set you in the best of the land. I'm going to give you everything you need. When we, when we finish up Genesis, we're going to make our way into uh, Revelation. We're going to bring elements of First and Second Thessalonians, Ezekiel, Daniel into that. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to see things like the, the millennial reign. And we're going to consider the new heaven and the new earth. And all that God is going to do for us to care for us and, and to provide for us. But here's the other amazing thing that sometimes we forget is that He has said even in between I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I am going to sustain you. I am going to care for you. I am going to be with you. He goes before us. And so here, Joseph, just what a picture of of Jesus. And so then, verse 13, there was no bread in all the land. So now the famine is going to continue here. For The famine was very severe. There's five years of it left. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought or bought, excuse me. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, "Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence, for the money has failed." Now, this wouldn't be the last time we know in history that money would fail during a time of famine. This is something that's happened many times throughout history. Even in the United States, we've got pictures of times during the Great Depression when money wasn't worth a whole lot, but, but bread certainly was, right? And, um, and guys, money money's going to fail again. And, and, and even right now, I mean, Google financial crisis and see what you see what you find. Uh, I mean, they're, they're talking about even by the end of the year that there could be a major debt crisis in our country. Guys, that should not create fear. I realize it has the tendency to oftentimes for us, but it shouldn't create fear because what we're called to do is look back and, con- and consistently God has shown Himself faithful. We trust in Him. doesn't mean that there aren't difficult times. doesn't mean there aren't hard times. But God is faithful. 
He'll carry us through. And so that's what's happening here. They're going through a difficult time and, and the money has failed. There's really, I mean, some people have some money, but, uh, and, and they've even started, some have run out of money, but um, it, it's, it's a commodity that has little value at this particular point in time. And so what's going to then continue here, we'll read through a number of verses here, that we'll just see an account of, of the progression here of the famine. In verse 16, then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock. So now we're starting to, uh, to see, okay, wh- what things do have value? Well, the livestock still has value and, and so they begin to, to trade that uh, if the money is gone. Verse 17, so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Verse 18, when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. And so things certainly are getting worse to the point now where they're saying we'll, we'll enter into servitude, but uh, better that than to die. And so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their lands. And so now all land is under the control of Pharaoh. They've moved them uh, inward into the city. And Joseph said to the people, verse 23, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So what we do see here certainly is that Pharaoh in Egypt absolutely profited during this time. And this is often the case. This is often what happens during uh, such difficult times that a government will often grow as they remain in charge and seek to uh, care for the people by controlling its resources. A lot of people, when they read this account, want to find fault in particular with Joseph to say, man, this is supposed to be a, a godly man, but it seems like now he's just taking advantage of all the people. And be careful of, of taking such a stance on this. What Joseph is doing here is truly caring for the people. He has put together a plan of wisdom that's going to prevent many people from dying. That will be declared in Genesis 50. And also remember that though certainly fair, uh, Joseph, uh, I'm sure, continued to live quite well. It was Pharaoh, ultimately, if we want to say that anybody was going to profit, it would certainly be Pharaoh much more than Joseph. But lest we find ourselves in sort of a too much of an indignant way, what we need to see here is that uh, Joseph did seek to be very equitable towards the people, to save many people alive, again, as he'll declare in Genesis 50, and what he ultimately asks of them, because this process will continue. Pharaoh will maintain ownership of much of the land, and this system that has come as a result of the famine will continue, but it's a system that basically results in a 20% tax on the people. And for those of you less familiar with our taxes in this country, you might quickly jump and say, hey, I'll take Pharaoh's tax over the United States, okay? Um, so just to put it into perspective there, 20% isn't all that bad. And, uh, and, and again, this is the way in which God was uh, uh, preserving his people. So Joseph does a good job. He's faithful here. Um, but yes, this does, in many respects, set up some of, somewhat of a, uh, a feudalistic culture and, 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 and things like that. Um, but remember, Egypt also is a picture of the world, and so that's what we'll continue to see throughout uh, Scripture. And so they said, verse 25, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord. So we see here that the people recognize we're, we're alive because of this, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And so again, to this day at least, then to the time of, of Moses. Um, and the priests were exempt. These were pagan priests. And so Egypt, uh, what we see here, did have, and we know this, it had its religion, uh, its religious system and its religious leaders and as many nations 
uh, to this day. There was a bit of an exemption of sorts for those who served in that capacity. But interesting, for the priestly line of Israel, there would be no property. So while in some cases it was property that they had that was kind of exempt, even in our culture today, the tax-exempt system, um, for Israel there would be no property that they were given. Uh, and we'll consider that a little bit later. In verse 27, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Remember, they came in as as 70, uh, and they'll leave as 2 million. So there's a little bit of growth happening uh, here as it says they multiplied exceedingly, which gives itself over, and this is made pretty clear there at the beginning of Exodus, that uh, the later pharaohs found it a little concerning. Hey, I've heard a little bit about these people, that they were pretty good when they came in. I don't know, some guy named Joseph. But, uh, man, they're a formidable foe now. And uh, uh, I'm a little concerned about these people. And that's, of course, what begins to move them into a place of uh, servitude and slavery is fear. And so uh, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 100 and 47 years, in verse 29, when the time drew near that Israel must die. He called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him, so Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. It's come to a place, Scripture tells us, Israel says it's time to die. Uh, it's an interesting way of, of, of writing, um, but no doubt this was a, a moment where uh, he just realizes, man, it's, I'm close, my, my body's failing me. And uh, um, so he says, we, we, need to, we need to deal with some business here. And we have this unique uh, uh, symbolic act that happens is he says uh, come and put your hand under my thigh (laughs) most of you have probably not been asked to enter into such an agreement in this way Um, now this oath that's taken here it's debated if you go back to sort of rabbinic tradition uh, what you would find is that a thigh is actually what they would say is a euphemism for the loins Uh, whether or not there was an actual uh act there, uh, or whether it was just to simply speak to the fact. Remember, Israel was a people of circumcision, and so uh, this was something that was, that was intended to tie to, there was a promise, a covenant that was made that, that from Abraham would be many nations, a genealogy that would be a blessing to all nations. And so uh, the, the, the loins, progeny, um, circumcision, all of that was geared towards this sealing of a covenant. That's what it would ultimately go back to. And others say, no, this was truly placing the hand under the thigh, uh, which would inevitably bring somebody, if you were about to make an agreement and now you're sort of hunched over in some sort of way while somebody's sitting on your hand, you would probably feel like I'm kind of inferior at this moment. <laughs> like you have you are in a position of power over me in this moment. And so others believe that it's kind of uh, along those lines that it was intended to say, look, you're going to make an agreement with me in this way. And so uh, they, they, they make this oath. And, and in either case, however you, you interpret that, what Jacob knew here was that Egypt was not his home. Egypt wasn't his home. He knew that he belonged in the promised land. That though he had found refuge in Egypt, though he'd spent 17 years there for him, he knew the promise is not here. And in our case too, we must recognize here that Egypt, or Egypt being a picture of the world, the world's not our home. There needs to be a willingness for us to understand, man, this isn't it. This isn't my final resting place. And even when we lay somebody to rest, as you go throughout the city, uh, you, you, of course, can come across uh, cemeteries. And we know, and, we, and, and, and those of you here, you've laid to rest loved ones. This isn't their final resting place. Right? There will be a resurrection that those who have gone before us, Paul says, will rise again. They'll go first. This isn't it. This isn't our home. And Jacob knows that. 
As we make our way then into chapter 48, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Here, uh, the time is coming. Joseph is informed, look, your dad's passing is soon. And he comes to him and he brings his two boys with him. And, and it's an interesting thing here that as Jacob is told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. It's as if here the, the, the language suggests to us that Israel was strengthened, that he, he drew some energy from this. He, he sat himself up. He was excited to see his son. There's still no doubt a, a great deal of joy on Israel's part that he has been able to be reunited with his son. And I certainly don't want to make too much of it here, but as I was considering this, this passage this week, I can't help but think of the current time that we are living in with all the effects of COVID and the reality that what strengthens the sick and the weak is most often visits from those that they love. Is it not? And to think of how many in this time have been deprived of that. And, and again, I, I, that's not, I, I don't say that even, that's not to make a statement about anything, but just to realize and to recognize that this has been the case throughout history. People are strengthened by being together. They're strengthened by having those who love them near them. And, um, and I do think that's to be considered. And I know that you know, in the time we're living, it's often been done with the greatest of intentions, but I wonder um, how many have been lost simply because they, they just didn't have that will that comes from saying, man, I, 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 the, the energy that comes, the, the, the life that comes from being a part of fellowship, from being with other people. And, and, and truly, I mentioned this this past Sunday, and I'll say it here again, the importance of fellowship. And I don't know if it's too much of a stretch to say based on this verse, but I don't think it is. The importance of fellowship cannot be overstated. The importance of the church gathering, the effect that it has. And listen, I, don't, I realize there's people who are watching online, maybe even right now, and, and some who are uh, based off of schedule or based off of you know, illness or whatever. And, I, and I'm not seeking to even make a statement about that. <clears throat> and there are others who have chosen to, uh, uh, on a more longer term, say, I need to remain out for various reasons. And I think, again, we'll deal with this as we get into Romans 14. We've got to, as a church, recapture a certain element of appreciation for personal conscience, for believers to be able to seek the Lord and, and, and act on their convictions and to not make their convictions the convictions of others and vice versa, but for us to just go, hey, look, we don't need to be divided over this or that we just let's love Jesus and let's let's follow him um, and so I say all that as a caveat to go look I'm not I'm not trying to put anybody in a particular bucket but I will say as time progresses I find myself uh, more and more and more and more passionate about like we will gather we will gather we will not stop gathering um, and, 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 maybe, and maybe that's the Lord doing a necessary work in anticipation of what may come in our country. I don't know. But man, I feel like that's just being solidified more and more in my heart. And nothing is going to stop us from doing that. It's so important. And, and so Jacob, he comes to his, his father and uh, how grateful he must be for these 17 years. And um, so Joseph rather comes to Jacob and, and Jacob says to Joseph, <clears throat> God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you begot, after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. What, what Jacob is saying to Joseph here is he's saying, look, you're two boys. I'm considering them part of my uh, direct lineage. 
He's saying those that will, the, the offspring from them will be, will, will, will kind of continue from there. But, but I'm claiming these two. And, it, and this isn't a bad thing. This isn't him saying, you, you, they're not yours, they're mine. It's just him saying, man, I'm so blessed. I'm going to include them in my inheritance. And so really what we see then, if you're familiar with the 12 tribes of, of Israel, and if you've ever found yourself a little confused, like, wait a second, if I add up all the, the, the brothers that Joseph has, but then I see that there's a Manasseh and Ephraim, those are Joseph's kids, and that's 14 tribes. Like, wait a second, what about the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, this is, this is where this is happening. This is where this begins. And so, yes, if you include Manasseh and Ephraim, there would be 14 tribes, but really, Manasseh and Ephraim kind of take the place of Joseph. You're not going to see a tribe of Joseph referenced very often. You'll see it sometimes, and you'll certainly see it when we talk through Revelation. But most often, you see Manasseh and Ephraim take the place of Joseph in terms of a tribe. And then the other one to bring us into 12 would be what I alluded to earlier, and that's Levi. The tribe of Levi is, yes, a tribe, but not landowners. And so being the priestly tribe, they didn't have possession in the land. And so Ephraim and Manasseh kind of take the place there of Joseph as a representative and more practically in terms of land from Levi. And so that's if you ever, again, when you're kind of looking through those things, you find yourself a little confused. That's where that comes in. And so Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he says, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age. Maybe that's why he didn't know who these boys were, right? Um, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. What a blessing for Jacob here. He's saying, I didn't even think I was ever going to see you again. I thought you were dead and gone. But now not only have I seen you, but I've seen your sons. It's just an incredibly encouraging time here. It's a, another reminder of here what God is able to do is he is a God who restores, a God who reconciles. And so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both. Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand. Now, it's so fun when Scripture gives us such specificity. There's intention here. Uh, what Joseph is doing is making sure whether it's just because this is the way that it was generally done or maybe because, hey, there's some, there's some experience with this. But, Dad, I want to make sure you know who the oldest is and who the birthright really belongs to. And so he makes sure that Manasseh is there at Jacob's right hand. And, uh, and then, of course, the younger to his left hand. So Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head. Well, wait a second. What's happening here is he's going like this. Joseph has it all set up for him to be able to just bless the boys just like this, and, and Jacob swaps it um, and so Israel stressed out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head who was the younger and his left hand on Manasseh's head and guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn so again Joseph's lining his boys up maybe thinking dad there were some issues with this before <laughs> I want to make sure we get it right here and he and he blesses Joseph and said God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. Verse 16, the angel, notice it's a capitalized angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the lads. Um, no doubt referring back to his, the wrestling, the angel of the Lord. Uh, Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, and it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Now, I don't, I don't know all the reasons why. 
Um, clearly, Jacob did. Clearly, Jacob had an understanding. And this would be the case. And what we see here through uh, the remainder of this account, as, as Jacob does begin to bless each of the boys, he, give, he speaks prophetically over them. And that prophecy is fulfilled in every one of the cases. So Jacob clearly was speaking um, from God here. And, and so he says, look, I get it, son. But this is the way that it's going to be. Ephraim is going to prosper. And he would. I mean, as, as far as the, the, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, Ephraim would be the most prominent of them all. In fact, oftentimes the northern kingdom would even be referred to as Ephraim. And so certainly he would be a tribe that would be blessed. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And, and here's the thing, guys. I mean, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, really, I mean, the, it's the passage that tells us that God's ways are what? They're not our ways. They're not our ways. I mean, for Joseph here, he's saying, look, Dad, this is the way it goes. But he says, no, no, no. This isn't the way that it's going to be. And this is a principle that I think applies in so many areas of life that we can certainly look at. And, and oftentimes it's in hindsight, and sometimes even as we're exercising wisdom that we believe the Lord has confirmed in our lives, that it just doesn't always make sense. It's not always the way that the world would do it. In fact, oftentimes it's not. And think of, of even, I mean, Cain and Abel. Which one was blessed? Abel, the younger. Ishmael and Isaac. Which one was blessed? Isaac. Esau and Jacob. Jacob. Reuben and Joseph. We'll see this shortly. Reuben. He's the firstborn. Joseph's the one that's blessed. Says Joseph's a fruitful bough. Aaron and Moses. Which one? Moses. I mean, it's just the way that God does it. He doesn't always do it the way that we think He's going to do it. I think there's a pattern of that here by now. And so even, I don't mean to, it's just maybe the topic of the evening for me, but again, as I go back to even considerations around uh, the, the building and the sale of the building. Look, we're not, I, I don't think we're at a point where if any of you are concerned where we're just going to tomorrow go, boom, just sell it. we got a tent. We've said it a few times, but I, I really don't want to employ such a strategy. But I would go back to saying, look, yes, we can exercise wisdom, but far too often Christians exercise wisdom based off of what they've learned in the world. That's what got me into trouble in the business world all the time. Now, a lot of times it worked out really well. Because I would exercise faith. I would, I would say, I'm, we're just going to do this because I think this is the way we go. And, and it would work out and God would bless it. But oftentimes it was like, wait, why would you do that? And, and it was tough to, to explain to people why you did something or why you took a risk on this or risk on that. And because we can't take, listen, and, and, and I, will, I will argue all day long with somebody over this particular point. You cannot, if anybody wants to step into church leadership and lead using business principles from the world and think that they're qualified based off of being involved in business in the world, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I think, and I would even go so far as to say, God will put you in a situation where that just blows up in your face. And, I, and because I've learned it, because I've tried it, because I've been confident in myself before, because, oh, I have this experience or this experience, and so we're just going to treat the church this way. No, 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 no. That's not how we do it. And so I'm not saying, guys, we just got to throw anything that we've learned out the window, but I think we just need to be careful. We have to exercise caution. We have to say God's ways are not our ways. He calls us to do different things, radical things. And so even in this moment, he's looking at his son, he's saying, I know, I know this is the tradition, I know this is the pattern, but this is not how it's going to be. And so Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. This is, this is a moment, okay? I could just read through this and just go, okay, we're going to move right on, but I mean, let's stop for a moment. We've just got a couple verses left here. We'll stop and... John, we're not making it into 49. <laughs> Here's a moment where I think about everything that's been going on and, and Jacob's blessing and, and, and he's just told Joseph, look, your younger one, he's, he's going to be blessed. He's going to be greater. And... And they know that his time's coming to an end. And now Israel, I mean, he declares it. He says, behold, I'm dying. I'm dying. 
I'm about to go. And the emotion that's got to be entering in for Joseph and for all of his brothers and, and for his brothers too, we know that, that fear and paranoia are going to start to pick up again for them because they're thinking, man, it's just because dad's around that he hasn't taken us out yet. And so it's got to be a difficult thing for them right now. And, and he's about to bless. We'll get there, um, we'll get there in a couple weeks. But um, as he goes and he begins to bless each of his sons, he's going to bring back to some of the consequences of their sin. I mean, this is just a really heavy moment all around. But Israel looks to his son Joseph and he says, listen, I'm dying, son. And this is the stuff we see in movies. These are those moments in movies, right? But he says with confidence, God's going to be with you. And he's going to bring you back to the land. I love the directness here. I love the simplicity of this. Like, we're not going to beat around the bush. He says, I'm dying. But then the confidence in this statement, confident expectation. And that's going to continue to be the case here. Uh, Israel at the end of his life is just, he speaks prophetically. And and, and I can't help but think again of of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's going to do the work. He started the work. He's doing the work. He's going to finish the work. There is no reason why a Christian today, none of you today should be sitting here in, in, in any sort of despair when we face loss, when we face ambiguity, when we're facing just a variety of difficult circumstances where we should find ourselves going, oh no, what's going to happen? Or How's this going to work out? And I get that that's our tendency but we don't need to with the same confidence we can say God's going to do it he's with us and so he looks at his son he says look God's going to be with you and for Joseph no doubt though he's got to be sad over the fact that he's going to be losing his father is going to begin to look back on his life once again and say man God has been with me he's been faithful he's going to finish this work and the other thing too and we don't love this but we know that he is going to bring them back into the land but it's going to take a while Somewhere in the ballpark of 440 years. It's going to take a while. Sometimes God takes a little while. Because when you're dealing in terms of eternity, 440 years, 1,000 years, suddenly isn't that much anymore, is it? But we're so temporal. We're so temporal. It's difficult for us to wait. But God's at work. He's going to do it. And he goes on to say in verse 22, Moreover, I have given you... One portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Now this is an interesting way to end the chapter here because the thing that Jacob is referring to here, we don't have really record of. There's nothing in his life that speaks of a time when he did this, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it it didn't then happen, and it's not just being recorded here now based off of what he said, but the implication in the original language suggests that this is actually a future act, that it hasn't happened yet. And so here now, Jacob will continue to speak very much prophetically, but with a great deal of confidence. And so if, in fact, that is the case, that this is an event yet to happen, then what Jacob is saying to his son here is he's saying, look, I'm dying, but God will be with you. He is going to bring you back into the land. In fact, you're getting this. I don't even have it yet, but you're getting it. It's yours. And if it's not obvious, I can't help but then go, man, as we're praying about land, and we're praying about selling a building, and we're praying about what the Lord has for us... These are just the things where sometimes you go, man, Lord, what? this is where it does become an element of faith, an element of seeking the Lord, not necessarily doing things the way that the world compels us to do it, but doing it based off of what He has said. I'm, if, if I'm going to do this thing for you, then we trust it. We say, I'm going to walk in obedience to that then. I'm going to trust in that. And so I close there this evening, and, and just let's, let's recap for a moment. We don't even we, we could go all the way back and see the same pattern, but we'll just go back to when the family arrives there in Egypt. They arrive, no doubt entirely surprised still by what God has done, but they meet a set of circumstances that seem different than what they had planned. But in the midst of that, it becomes clear that what God is doing is sparing them from evil in the world and positioning them to receive blessing. And from there, beginning to give them opportunity to have influence. And not just that, but then give them confidence that I'm going to continue to work in you, through you, on your behalf. I'm going to lead you. I'm not going to leave you. There's no reason for you to worry, no reason for you to be concerned. What I have begun in you, the promise I've made, I will finish it. I will complete it. And as he goes on to bless his sons and bless each tribe, and and as he speaks prophetically over them, those tribes, not one of them will be lost. God will carry them through and do exactly what he intended to do in each of them. 
Let me ask you this. Is there anything in Scripture that suggests to us that God has stopped doing that? That that was just for them and not for us? No. So, I don't know where you're at this evening, but I would encourage you to take heart. That no matter what's going on, no matter how the Lord may be leading you right now, as uncomfortable as it may be, as much as it may be, Lord, this wasn't the plan, or Lord, this is hard, or Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this, that we have every reason to say, Lord, you're near, you're working. That is for us to just say, Lord, I love you. I'm surrendered to that. Lord, you work. You do what you have set out to do. You'll finish it, Lord. You're faithful. Amen. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, again for our time in your word here tonight. Lord, you are an awesome God. You work in ways that, Lord, are so far beyond our understanding, so different, Lord, than how we so often see things. And, Lord, I pray that there would be such a work done in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, Lord, as we mature in the faith, as we follow after you, as we experience your faithfulness, Lord, that we would be people, too, who continue to see things the, the way that you see it, Lord, that, that we would be less inclined um, as we proceed, Lord, to, 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 to look at what may in the past, Lord, have seemed crazy, but instead to just with confidence say, that's God, that's what God does. That, Lord, we could experience more and more of those things individually, Lord, and as a body. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen with uh, the building and the future of, of this fellowship, Lord, where we'll be, how we'll function, uh, other than to say, Lord, you'll be with us, and what you have for us is good, and it's perfect. And we want that, Lord. But we want to do all things with wisdom. We want to trust in you, Lord. And so we just ask that you lead us and guide us. But I pray, Lord, also for each of these here tonight, as maybe they're facing individual circumstances, Lord, that are requiring surrender, that are requiring abandon to their own plans, uh, that, Lord, they would... They would trust in you. They would hope in you. They would have the confidence, Lord, to know that, that, that you've got this, Lord. Uh, Lord, what, what comfort there is in that. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for this time here tonight. Lord, bless each of these here, Lord, as they follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.